Actually, this is one of those situations where I should hit record uh, before we start talking too much because this is a topic I've been wanting to go into for a while and it may even be an ongoing discussion in various ways. So uh, welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects mental health services to people who have experienced the trauma of a positive STI diagnosis. On top of that, what we're doing is working to raise money and partner with organizations that work in STD prevention so that we can figure out a way to enter, uh, enter, enter what? What is the word? Enter. Oh, I was doing so well and then it just messed it up. Uh, interconnect? Is it the word? Uh, intervene? Enter. Wow, what am I doing with my life right now? We want to integrate. Wow, I couldn't say integrate. We want to integrate post-STI diagnosis support resources with STD prevention efforts. That was a mouthful. Uh, so, yeah, one of the things that Something Positive for Positive People does is we interview people who are living with STIs about their experience so that we get more of an understanding from a qualitative perspective on what the numbers aren't really highlighting. All right. So today's guest is Taylor and you have the Instagram account to chronic. To care. There's a lot of underscores. Yeah. I was like, ah, that's not right. There's an underscore somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm pumped to be here. Um, my name's Taylor and I just created this account about a month ago, so I'm a little new to this space, but really excited just to like share my story, connect with like strangers literally across the world. Um, one of my favorite people I message is in Australia. So it's been really fun to just share experiences, learn that people from all over actually have a lot more in common with me than I thought. So I'm excited to just kind of vent it all out and see who it resonates with, but it's been an awesome and positive experience. So yeah. All right. So without leading the discussion too much into this topic, like I said, it's going to be an ongoing uh, conversation just about disclosure fatigue and how it weighs on us to have this expectation on us as the people who have herpes or have something that we need to disclose feeling so much pressure of needing to a initiate the conversation and then b to feel like what it is that we have to disclose is going to be the make or break thing about the relationship or the interaction taking it to the next level right so for you you have two chronic illnesses can you disclose what they are for us yeah so uh type 1 diabetes which i I've got my diagnosis when I was 13, so I've had it for about 12 years now. Um, And then more recently, genital herpes, which was last March. So um, I'm not new to the chronic uh, illness world just because of type 1. So I look back and realize that the herpes diagnosis wasn't as much of a shock per se, because I'm like, oh, I'm used to having something that there's no cure and I just have to deal with it. So um, it wasn't that much of a shock in that regard, but more of the mental stigma and just disclosing um, in that way. So, yeah, type one, 
diabetes for people who don't know. Basically, my pancreas just fought off the wrong um, like cells in my body, so it fought off the insulin-producing cells. Um, so I no longer can produce insulin on my own. Um, so basically, when I was diagnosed, I was 90 pounds, going to the bathroom all the time, drinking so much water, eating nonstop, wouldn't gain a single pound. Um, people actually thought I had an eating disorder because I would go to the bathroom so much. Um, so I was like a little middle schooler. I didn't know what was wrong with me trying to function as normal. Um, I actually found out I had it through a yearly checkup, so it was a surprise. Um, whereas some people, they can go into uh, DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, um, where your blood's turning into acid. It's like a diabetic's worst nightmare. Um, so a lot of people find out that way, where their numbers are like 900, normal range. You want it to be between like 80 and 120. Um, so I wouldn't say I like lucked out with when I found out, but I was able to gradually learn about it, not be too thrown into the ringer at such a young, um, like, developmental age. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can go more and more into that. I have so many little stories just leading up to where I am now. But mm -hmm. uh, definitely shaped me a lot before the herpes diagnosis. Um, oh, well, yeah, let's go like in. Let's go ahead and go into that. So what I'm foreseeing as we talk is just kind of matching parallels here between uh, diabetes and herpes in your experience exclusively. So yeah, talk me through your herpes diagnosis. Yeah, so last March, I was dating someone, we had just deemed that we were exclusive, whatever, whatever that means. I feel like that's such a, a gray term nowadays. <laughs> yeah, so, you, you got to define it with one another. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't defined enough, because um, he was actually cheating whole nother whole nother story but i believe that's how i how i got it he was juggling between us both and and picked the the other gal but that's a whole other thing um but yeah it was a huge shock um i developed symptoms um which actually like the week prior i was like okay we're exclusive let's get an sti test make sure we're like good to go if we're just going to be with each other so I did, which I've now learned that the STI tests don't include herpes anyway. So that's something I didn't even know um, existed or wasn't included. Um, but he said he'd get tested. I trusted him. Oops. <laughs> I'm not sure if he did. Um, but yeah, so I, I got it from him, went to the doctor, was having the worst um, I guess I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was having these like tears, couldn't walk, um, had to still go to work and could barely move. I was like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, I went to my gyno. She knew right away, took the swab, um, which I guess is the fastest way to, to learn that you have it. So um, she was very lovely, walked me through it, super calm. Uh, I guess my first instinct was he cheated and she's like no 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 it could be other things it could be asymptomatic like he might not even know and so I was trying to see given the benefit of the doubt basically um so I went into it knowing that I was diagnosed 
Um, didn't really know too much about the stigma. I just knew that no one wants to get an STI that doesn't go away. But for me, as a diabetic, I, I know what it's like to have something you can't cure. So I then had him over for dinner and slowly told him, like, use the advice from my doctor, gave doctor's references, all hmm. the facts. Your, um, your doctor gave you advice on disclosing? She, because I told her that I was having dinner with him, like we already had pre-made plans. And she kind of gave me a walk down of like, he might ask this or like want to know the actual stats. She was great, which yeah. I know that doesn't happen to most. So I look back and I'm very grateful that I had her. Um, but yeah, I, I told him about it. I think he was about to pass out. <laughs> he went like went white. And I don't know if that was because he knew he gave it to me or it was just like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with this. So who knows? But I was like the comforting one, which was so twisted. But that's just me, I guess. No, uh, it's not. It's not. It's women. Um, several <laughs> women who have gone back to disclose their status to their partners have become... The, the comforting one, regardless if the other person is likely who would have given it to them. Because the thing about it is like, for people who have sex with men, we don't have a reason to go in annually for wellness exams. If my dick ain't itching, if I don't see anything wrong with it, if it's getting hard, I don't feel a need to go to the doctor, right? And that's a lot of us. And then if our partners, uh, you know, you go to at least your annual women's wellness exam once a year. And I am, in my experience, a lot of women have gotten tested at those uh, for STIs. And so one thing that I've noticed about myself and several men that I've spoken to is our metric of our STI status is contingent on our partner's results, right? Shouldn't be that way. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that, you know, that's how we go about it. Because if you ask men, and women are really typically afraid of asking men, hey, when's the last time you were tested for STIs? And guys would be like, uh. And when you hear that, like, that's a sign. Hey, we need to go right now. Like, let's go and get uh, get ourselves tested. If you can't even tell me when the last time you were tested was. And it's unfortunate, you know, this is another thing that just falls on the responsibility of people who have sex with men uh, is to initiate this conversation and to hold them to the standard of which this shouldn't even be a thing but knowing what their STI status is at least recently <laughs> you know if you're someone that's like oh I don't get tested I don't have anything nothing's wrong speaking into stigma that way because like that's that's a thing that fuels the stigma thinking that you only have a problem when you have a problem Right. But you could have STIs and then not present any symptoms at all. So just circling back with all of that and bringing it to a conclusion, oftentimes all of this responsibility is exclusively on you as the person who's aware of your status. And then you also have to go into, you know, after disclosing, comforting his ass. Like, where's your comfort? You know, who was there for you? Who's going to be there for you? But, but even though it wasn't anything, I it was does, yeah. I look back, I'm like, okay, hang on. Does <laughs> taking care of other people sort of like heal you or do something for you internally? 
because maybe that's what it is too. It's just like it appeals to your caretaker and you get a sense of validation out of that more so than you would being like, get the fuck out of my house. Like, no, you didn't know I'm crying, not you. I was like, I can, I'm never so blunt. I always like to sugarcoat it or be the one that you, someone can vent to and I'll like throw it back. But yeah, I know. And I, I look back to and I'm like, okay, I, I'm not going to juggling different people. I always just stick with one person. I just can't, I can't handle it. Like I just, I'll overlap stories and I just want to be full focused. So I don't even with this guy and we should have made it a little bonding experience to go together. But if he did actually go, like I was hoping he would, maybe they would have caught it. But that's like a whole look back at the past. You just can't go there because now it's like, all right, you have it. You've got to carry on. Um, and I know I commented on when you were chatting about someone else had wrote like wanting the vengeance and like if someone gave it to you and they don't like admit it, that totally resonated with me because, man, I pondered, like, did he know? Did he know he was being between us two and not being safe? And just so much, like, hatred. And he also broke up with me on the phone on my birthday. Like, he's just not a good guy, um, basically. So, mm. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, but now I'm like, okay, so many positives have come out of it. That's just me. I have to like flip it to the positive so I can function. Um, but I went to therapy because of this, which totally anyone should go. It's amazing. Cause now I'm over the herpes, um, like frustration and betrayal. And now we just talk about work and nothing herpes related. So it's kind of brought like good things into my life looking back, but and I don't get that many outbreaks. It's just not as big of a deal as I'm realizing society makes it. So Right. When you yeah. say that you've gone to therapy and like gotten over the herpes, right? Can I ask what about your therapy, what about your sessions helped you get through or over having herpes? Like what was yeah. the what was that like? I remember my first session, I didn't even say my name. I just went in and I blurted everything out. I think that's just like what I needed to do. Because um, I I didn't fully, I would vent about the breakup to friends, but they didn't know the full story of that the herpes was involved at first. So I've, I share with friends more um, easily now. It's not like a big deal if I share that I have herpes to any of my friends. They, they all know. Um, but yeah, I went in and I did some research before because I knew he had done, um, he worked in like a clinic for testing and uh, like sexual assault victims. So I knew he just was a good guy and could understand something like that. So I knew he had the backgrounds, especially all the facts that I might not have known up front. Um, and he helped me understand how common it was, which I've since followed a lot of accounts who reiterate that, but um, I don't think I got that initially from my doctor. She told me like disclosure tips, which was great, very helpful. Um, but he kind of reiterated, okay, this is so common. You're not alone. Um, a lot of my clients come in for this. So just gave me that peace of mind, um, that I think I was so wrapped up in all the anger 
from the breakup. I wasn't really thinking about, okay, how do you internalize and like, like come to terms with this and then move on with your own life. So yeah, the, the, the whole kicker of why I started going besides the herpes was I saw that he had officially made it official with the other girl. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to get over this. Um, I have to block these accounts. I can't, this is just draining energy. Uh, so another push to go, but when I got there and I, I, I kind of whispered it too, when I was in his office, I was like, I have herpes and like, so quiet. Uh, and towards like, couple sessions in I would say it very loudly and had confidence behind it so I also think that helped me a ton because um, I do find that a lot of people are very hush hush which can absolutely be that way uh, until they're more comfortable but I think just saying all these things to him and sharing the full background and just saying the word was huge yeah so, okay yeah how is having herpes? similar to having diabetes yeah so i was actually looking at some like facts and so with type one so first there's a lot of different types um that i wasn't even aware about with type uh with diabetes so i have type one um where my pancreas just kind of stopped producing insulin and then there's type two which is actually more genetic where there's insulin resistance but a lot of people uh, assume it's just because you're overweight or you're not like putting care into your body, but it's actually through genes more than anything. Um, then there's like gestational and there's about five others, um, which National Diabetes Awareness Month in October and learning all these new things about a disease I like have. So um, it's very stigmatized. So similar in that way people think that you did it to yourself where you didn't take care of your body you like ate too much sugar and you gave yourself diabetes and you can just stop eating sugar and get rid of it which for type one that's like absolutely not a thing like you cannot get rid of it until they're secure and your only option is basically insulin therapy to function and you're basically acting as an organ. So hearing that, it gets super frustrating because I didn't do it to myself. Cause is unknown. No one knows, like, literally don't know why I got it. I have no idea. I was sick the week before, so they thought maybe my body was just susceptible, but it's it's not proven. Um, And then people, 90% of diabetics, 90 to 95 are type two. And then the rest is either type one or the other types of diabetes. So it's a very small pool. So people just lump it in, um, which makes me think of herpes, how there's different types and type one oral herpes, cold source, or more people have it. Like I was looking at the global population, like about, if I'm wrong on this, I thought it was like 60 some percent maybe have like HSV-1 and then HSV-2 it's about 11 of the global population so it kind of reminds me of the stats and how they're a little flipped people just assume that like I do the parallel of 
okay, people think I eat too much sugar, and that's why I have type 1. And then on the flip side, people think you're really promiscuous, or, like, you deserve, like, herpes, and that's why you have it. So that's my big parallel, which I'm realizing it's so crazy. Um, yeah, it's just so crazy, the assumptions, and people think you did it to yourself when they're really unknowns you can't control or like herpes asymptomatic or not included in tests and you just don't know and everyone's human and this stuff just happens unfortunately i got a double whammy with this little combo um but yeah and stigma um a lot of underlying stigma with both obviously but people i mean people thinking with the sugar thing or um People don't understand all the gadgets on my body. I have, like, my CGM, continuous glucose monitor, so I don't have to prick my um, sugars anymore. So that's, like, a little dot all over my body. Um, I have a sticker on it that says Wi-Fi right now, actually, because people think it's, like, a personal hotspot. Um, they've come up to me and, like, tapped it. Uh, or they'll think it's, like, uh, quit smoking patch or birth control list goes on and on but people just jump up assume uh, don't really ask so yeah the things I get with that um, yeah and then with herpes I mean obviously there's a stigma people people don't really understand it and if you cross compare it with other STIs now that I'm on the flip side I think I grew up being like oh I won't get an STI I'm safe everything will be fine, and then I got one, and I I was like, I feel like I've gotten, like, the worst one, like, stigma-wise, that it can't be cured, but I'm used to that, but you think of the other STIs, and if you don't take care of it, you could get cancer, you could, like, die, but no one talks about that, so. Did yeah. having Did having diabetes prepare you for your herpes diagnosis? Definitely. I mean, I wasn't shocked it was like the doctor was like that you'll never be able to cure it like you'll take antivirals to help and I was like oh okay I'm like I take insulin every day like I'm used to that so I and don't know if with I would your, with insulin do you take it multiple times a day or do you prick yourself yeah. multiple times a day like how's that work so I the CGM allows me to like see my readings I have like a watch and I'll be able to see it all the patterns, all the trends. Um, so that's like a completely different um, gadget on my body. And then I have a insulin pump, which basically acts like my pancreas. Um, and I'll have a site in my body somewhere, which I have to put like a metal needle, which is like pretty big in my body, but now I, I don't feel it. I'm like so used to it at this point, but that connects to my pump where I then get insulin. So I always have, like, it looks like I have three sites on me all the time. Um, but, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, the CGM, if I didn't have that, I'd have to prick my finger, like, ten times minimum a day. Woo! So, I know. So that that's another thing I wanted to talk about is that diabetes is so visible and you can see it. Um, so I always have, always have gadgets on me. I have scars everywhere, just scar tissue buildup from all the sites. I still have marks on my fingers, even though I don't prick them as much. Um, so that, I think, yeah, I just always talk about it. 
and I never question it. And if someone's like, oh, you ate, you got that because you had too much sugar, like, oh, is that a pager talking about my pump? I have to be like, okay, let's sit down and like chat it out, mm. which is, it's no big deal to be like, okay, actually yeah, type one is different than type two or other types. So I feel like a broken record talking mm. about it, but I mean, people just need to, people still aren't fully educated, yeah, which is crazy. And so. I understand, you know, situationally, you don't need to understand everything about everything. I think there's totally. just general common knowledge that should be. Like, I'm in human decency, right? You yeah. are sick, right? So uh-huh. jumping in and making assumptions doesn't help. Like, when you say diabetes, if I don't know anything about diabetes other than type 1, type 2, you know, it would be a matter of just asking questions. Like, oh, what type do you have? You know, and if you're in the space of going into as much detail as you want, awesome. But if you're not, yeah. also awesome because <laughs> this is your time. It's your uh, right. energy, it's your energy management. So when yeah. you end up, when you find yourself in a situation where someone comes at you that way, uh, I compare that to when people make a herpes joke that is completely mm-hmm. inaccurate. Like Donald Trump's not going away just like herpes, right? Oh, I know. There's so many around the election. It was brutal. Yeah. And so when I hear that, I have to, hey, that's not accurate. Herpes outbreaks come and go. But that's, it's not an accurate thing to say that herpes doesn't go away. It's just not an accurate statement. And then that may lead to more discussion if the person's willing to go there. With diabetes, do you find that like when you start talking, people kind of feel like shit? And then now you go into having to comfort them because they've made an ass out of themselves saying that this thing that, you know, this process that you have to go through, this experience that you have to have of constantly monitoring your blood sugar levels and uh eat on time like if you don't do the things that you need to do in your windows of time that you have to get them done you can die yeah yeah i know it's scary and i mean the jokes it's i mean it's not like this they're similar i mean i've gotten people come up to me and they're like i'd share that i'm a diabetic for some reason and they're like oh but you're not overweight and I'm like, you don't say that to somebody. Like, I'm a very average build. I'm happy with my body. I have no issues with, like, how I look. Like, I'm, And then they'll be like, oh, but you're not overweight. Like, you're not, like, that, that heavy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You can't say that anyway. But, like, why do you think that would be okay? And is, then, is that a common misconception that overweight people are, by default, diabetic? Yeah. So it's because so many type 2s, and that's, like, a whole nother stigma is that, oh, if you have type 2, you did it to yourself. Like, it's the same kind of language. You did it to yourself. Um, You haven't eaten right or exercised, and, like, that's why you're so overweight, and, like, that's how you got type 2. But a lot of it comes down to genetics for type 2 at the root of it. And so, like, it's a metabolic disease, and then uh, type 1 is, like, autoimmune. Um, So they're, like, kind of these even different tangents. It just depends on, like how insulin insulin resistance is with type 2 where because of genes or like more body weight whatever like you just can't at that moment produce insulin how you like are supposed to so just with like lifestyle changes a little a little insulin therapy you're back on track type 1 it just like can cannot reverse until there's a cure so very different but people lump them in just because 
of diabetes. Um, so I get how they can be mixed up, but again, it's the, the assumption and just saying like, um, you know, I had a friend who was like, oh, my dad's diabetic and he's like a little overweight and like heavier, but like, what kind of bars do you eat to like manage your type, like your diabetes too? And I'm like, ah, oh, like she's so, one of my best friends. So there's an assumption that all treatments are the same. Yeah. All treatments are the same. Like you'll see commercials for, um, anything for diabetes, but oh. normally there's Dexcom commercials, which is the CGM I have, but type twos can also use it. So I get how, it, I understand how it can be confusing, but it's so different. So it's hard to like take the comments of like anything dealing with weight or like, oh, you ate too much sugar. You did it to yourself or like, oh, you can't have that. Like I'll get everything sugar free. Like, no, no, no. I can eat exactly the same. I just have to like medicate early for it. And then I'm, I'm super normal. So so that's the extent of how having type 1 diabetes shapes your life and affects you on a day-to-day basis. You check yourself regularly so that you know your status, right? Yeah. See where I'm going yeah. with this? And ah. then um, the other thing is that, you know, you disclose it to people. Why do you feel the need to disclose other than because of, like, the physical sites on your body raise questions? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so two sides to that. So... I've disclosed at work because if I were to pass out or anything, I do events too. So we'd be, we'll use pre-COVID, we'd travel around and be in different locations, whatever, whatever. So I, I have like a glucagon pen, which if I pass out, if my number goes too low, um, I would need to like have this injected in me, go to the hospital, but at least like the glucagon helps in the transition. So my number doesn't go too low. I don't die. Um, so I obviously tell my, my coworkers near me at my desk in case I were to go low, they know what to do. Um, my, my boss took it a little bit too far and she had me write a manual out, which is a little, I like had a whole separate thing. I had a combo with HR for other things, but they were like, you do not have to talk that much about something that's like a very personal condition that you're going through. Um, so I think there's a line of like, you can disclose how like you're comfortable and like what's necessary, but not crossing the boundary to the point of like, okay, don't like come at me with like, okay, you need to tell me everything. And like that details wrong. Like, what does that mean? It's like some, you need to do your own research if someone's disclosing to you, which does remind me a lot about herpes too. Um, and then, gosh, I just forgot work. Sports I did growing up just because activity makes it fluctuate quite quite a lot. Um, yeah, and then dating-wise, I would obviously disclose because when clothes come off, my sights are just left all over. People get freaked out because it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I don't have to, like, say I'm a type 1 diabetic. Like, before we, I take you back to my apartment, like, I'm going to have sights on my body. Like, that just seems so... Have you ever like, played Have you ever played with the idea of just making them think you were really kinky? <laughs> no, I never pushed it. I would I would just be like, don't pull this off, or, like, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, so I, this is part... Know, I just freak them out a little bit. I'm like, 
like there's a needle in my body all the time. They're like, oh my God, I don't want to touch you. I'm scared I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, but you're not, you're not fragile. You know your body. You know your limitations. And in some ways, you are more conscious of your body and its limitations to the point where you can articulate that to a potential partner uh, so that you can have a form more better or more pleasurable experience because I see and hear from, and it, I, it's unfortunate that it's always women for me uh, who don't maybe feel safe expressing, hey, here are my limitations. This is what you can right. do. This is what you can't do. And to hear you so confidently speak and say, all right, this is off limits. This is off limits. Like, it's almost as if having diabetes has given you uh, a need to utilize your voice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I well, I wasn't always so vocal, which I know the shift happened when I had the Dexcom because it, it made it more visible to me. And so that was maybe like three years ago, but before that... I neglected my management, never told anybody if I didn't have to, um, which honestly reminds me of the shift with my herpes too, is that when I was first diagnosed after this like terrible breakup, it was like pretty traumatic for me. Um, Cause that every time now I get an outbreak, I'm like, oh, I'm so annoyed that this one guy is going to affect my dating life for the rest of my life, but doesn't have to. Um, but yeah, I think I just, yeah, I don't know. It was so tough to to move on past that, but I haven't disclosed yet, but I'm hoping that through this account that I've just made, I'm building my voice. I'm on dating apps now, like disclosing in the comfort of my home and just like practicing. So I'm hoping that the shift of actually disclosing, it'll be post-COVID when it's like okay to go out and date like pretty normally again. But I'm hoping like that shift parallels too, because talking so freely about my type one is like so empowering and just educating. And then the more I have to educate, you realize, okay, wow, people don't really understand like yeah. what's the core of this. So you I know think what comes yeah. to mind for me right now is that in your creation of your page, you're creating literally a resource that you can direct partners to as you disclose. So you don't have to go into the, you know, again, talking about disclosure fatigue, and I'm, I'm just letting you share so that I can tie everything back together. Um, but how exhausting it is, you know, when you look at your work asking you for a manual, all right, here's my Instagram page. Go do the work yourself. I did this. Like, I set the foundation for people to be able to find this and then utilize it. Here, this is the extent of the work that I'm doing. Go do your homework. If you have questions after you've done that and you can demonstrate to me that you've done that, then okay. So it's making you have to have boundaries around uh, your disclosures. Now, obviously, it's different for different people. Work only needs to know how it impacts you present at work. Uh, Other people around you are impacted because if you do pass out in front of them, they need to know what Mm -hmm. to do in a relationship similar thing but perhaps a little bit more you're going to be physically intimate you're going to be rolling around touching each other certain body parts are off limits with a partner with friends depending on the activities it's the same thing but more than anything you have your experiences documented you have your credible trusted resources documented to where when it comes time to have a more extended conversation about 
diabetes and how it impacts you and how it would impact the people that you're disclosing to, you can just point people to, to chronic to care. Totally. I know. I feel like on the account too, I'm, I'm sharing little stories that some of my friends don't even know. So it's, it's been an interesting experience to be like, okay, this happened and they might've like generally known, but they didn't know how much it affected me or like what it taught me or yeah, just like the, the reach that I'm able to then bridge together the account. It's, it's so fascinating. I didn't really realize this when I made it. I was like, okay, I'm type one diabetic and have genital herpes. Like, cool, let's throw it together and see what happens. But I now have diabetics who I can vent to about like our diabetic like problems and whatever. But now they're like, I knew nothing about herpes. Like, this is so interesting that like I follow your account and now I'm learning about herpes, which I didn't really know anything about. So, and vice versa, like people who have herpes are like, I've never known anyone who has type one diabetes. So some of my friends, when I, every time I post the cold sore, anything related to like cold sores are oral herpes. They're like, wait, my boyfriend has that. Or like, oh, I've had that since I was a kid. I'm like, hey, welcome to the fam. Like, it's not a big deal. And I feel like I'm bonded with people more than I even knew we were bonded by. So it's just like a cool way that people can just learn about my whole life. Or there's a diabetic I follow and she has herpes and she's like, I'm quiet about it. I don't want to share anything like that on my diabetic page because it doesn't make sense. Um, so she's like, I'm glad you have an account because that's like my bridge of how I feel like I can vent and like be relate like related to someone else going through the same thing. So the account's been a nice surprise. I don't think I expected so many people to like message me or I'm like hearing people's stories and advice and it's been like lovely because you don't really talk about I talk about type one as much as I can and now I'm like I want to talk about herpes all the time but I feel like you've got to time it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all great. for people sharing their experiences as they're ready. And uh, I can speak to something positive for positive people. When I first created the social media accounts, I didn't think that, you know, people would um, reach out as much as they have. I didn't think that I would find as much support as I had. I know that there would be people who would find the page and they would search me or whatever and message me privately. But I didn't think that so many people would be a receptive to me sharing their messages uh, anonymously, of course. And then having them be on the podcast, because when I started this podcast, I shit you not, I thought that I was going to do one podcast episode a month. Yeah. One person per month was going to want to talk to me. There was a point where I had three months worth of podcast episodes like out laid out and didn't have anything to do. (laughs) So uh, I've been able to do this on a weekly basis and it has invited more discussions. It's invited community I'm connecting to people who want to connect me to their resources and vice versa. So it's really a matter of understanding that when we put ourselves out there, be prepared for, you know, this, where you have this peace and sense of fulfillment, but also be prepared for, you know, you know, your surroundings and what you're going into, you know, your environment, you know, your friends and family, you know, your people, but you have to go into these kinds of things with boundaries. Otherwise, you know, you'll experience compa- or, uh, yeah, compassion fatigue or even disclosure fatigue. You've done right. the big disclosure. So now when people contact you, there's no need for you to 
go through the, well, I have da-da-da, unless it's someone new and they're like, oh my God, I just got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, type 2 herpes, I don't know how to deal with this. And then that's where your boundaries that you've already created and put in place are going to keep you from experiencing any type of fatigue in these interactions because it can be draining to hear from people all the time who just come, take what they want from you, and then go on about their business rather than coming in and bringing anything of value to the table. Like just, hey, I ran through all your content. Uh, I saved a few things. I sent something to someone. Like do that kind of thing. Don't just... Oh my God, I got herpes and I don't know what to do. I can't tell you how many of those messages I've gotten. I feel like you need a draft saved because it's, and so many people's stories are so different too. It's like, that's, I, I did like a post. I mean, the posts I do, I feel like I've done like myths and truths because I've gotten some comments and I'm like, this is so bothersome, especially the promiscuous one. And um, yeah, I just feel like, sharing the truth side of it like you didn't do anything to get it and so many people like you're losing your virginity and you get it like I can't even imagine that but it's like I'm here for you but I I can't even begin to think like gosh that was the first experience like hope it's not tainted but then you have to deal with all that build up and disclosing moving on so it's hard like I'll listen but everyone's story is so different but I do think like finding that community does so much um, I mean, when I was trying to start the account, like I could easily look up like type one and you'd see like hundreds of accounts. And then I'm like, how do I even start like building a community of people who might need to like follow a page like mine? And I couldn't really find anybody, but people have just like popped up and they're obviously not going to like display it in their Instagram name or their bio, but they're like reaching out just to like find someone to kind of be like the voice that they're not quite ready to share so like no pressure or anything but I, I do like I take so much on so I am going to be like wary um just to like stay sane too because at the end of the day it's like we're still going through yeah. just dealing with it too yeah. yeah you haven't had a lot of experience in dating with herpes but having had diabetes for so long you have plenty of experience there um, I saw that you posted that you told someone you had diabetes and they ghosted you or they were rude. What was it exactly? Um, oh gosh, not with my, oh yes. Okay. Yeah. I, so it was I, a while um, ago. I, I'm, I'm a creep. No, no, no. <laughs> I, so it was when I was on, um, that dating site. We don't say their name here, but we know which one you're talking oh, about. Cool. I just forgot it because I deleted it. Um, Good. That, that's a, this experience, well, part of it, but yeah, so my whole point was like, okay, I'm on this app because then they know that I have herpes and like that's the big thing that I want to disclose and I'm so scared to disclose that. So now on this app, they already know. So like that big, like ominous cloud over my head wasn't even there, but they didn't know my type one. And so, which normally that's like so easy for me to share. Because it's like, oh, this is a medical thing. Your body just, like, did it to itself. But I'll talk them back from, like, I don't eat too much sugar. This is what it is. And then they'll, they'll get it and usually be really supportive. But, yeah, this guy, I was like, okay, it's COVID. Like, what are we going to do before the date with COVID and everything? Like, I'm type 1. I'm really careful. Um, like, I'm immunocompromised, which 
which also like just with covid they kept saying like oh, i was gonna COVID. yeah i was gonna ask you about that next yeah yeah and i don't even know like i just assumed i was like okay my body just like attacked itself so i don't really know if i trust it to fight off this unknown virus so like i'm just gonna be very careful but people are like oh i'm also diabetic like i'm being careful too but i just think it lumped everything together and didn't specify what type or like who should be more careful than like another type so again it kind of lumped everybody into one mix and people just assumed like oh you have diabetes like you need to be careful and part of me it's like what type do you think i have like there's just like no i don't know no need to clarify so i'm just being like careful anyway uh just out of caution but people just now lump it into one category all over again uh but yeah so this guy i told him i was type one and then he was coming back from california so he's flying and i asked him like can we get a can we both get a covid test before we see each other and he was like didn't even acknowledge the type one which for me i was like people get it whatever he was like okay you're too much of a handful like i'm i'm over this like basically it was so rude after me asking for a COVID test since he was traveling i didn't think i was too out of line there but you weren't like <laughs> this is the kind of person who probably would have been upset about you asking him to have an sci screening before y'all had an, a physical interaction or before y'all right. even had sex He's like, what are you talking about? I'm clean. I don't have sex with people with STDs. I imagine he talks like that. Yeah, and then, like, he's talking about flying. You're immunocompromised. And this was just a completely insensitive thing. And I was very annoyed and frustrated for you when I saw this because it's like, oh, damn. You know, you get you get herpes and you have to navigate that challenge. But yeah. I always tell people dating with herpes is just like dating. Right. He yeah. had herpes. Yeah. And the issue was that you still wanted to be careful so as not to get another <laughs> virus that literally, you know, is has shut down the world. He, yeah. he didn't have the common decency like, oh. to just right. get a test. Just get the test. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I know. In my whole thought process, I'm like, OK, I don't want a third chronic condition. Like, I, I don't want to be a trifecta. <laughs> like, I just am avoiding COVID at all, t like, all costs because I feel like diabetes is a lot 24-7, managing it. More visible. It's always on my mind. Herpes, I honestly sometimes forget I have it until I'm, like, super stressed. And I'm like, okay, I feel weird down there. Um, but it's really not that prominent. And I guess when, like, dating comes back up, it comes back into the mix. But, like, right now, I, I honestly am not dating I feel like all I think about is my type one, but now at the account, I'm like, it's so obvious how it can be so paralleled and how I can talk so freely about one, but not the other. Mm. It's like another reason why I started it. I was like, why is this so annoying? I can't just like speak so freely about two things that are big in my life. Yeah. And then right now. No good. He's like long gone. Yeah. Good. So <laughs> herpes is a virus. COVID is a virus. Diabetes is an autoimmune disorder. Is that we? Is that what? Is that accurate? What is it? Yeah, I don't know if it's autoimmune disease or illness. I just always keep cross lumping them okay. together. Okay. Okay. Um. So, <clears throat> where where was I going with this? Oh, talking about like disclosure. So now, 
not only do you have to disclose your herpes status to a partner, you have to disclose uh, diabetes and how a partner is impacted by that. And, you know, you just disclose your COVID concerns even. Has the political climate and the state of the world and social distancing, mask wearing, getting tested, so um, being mindful of the people you're around, has any of that been challenging for you to navigate more so than, you know, other things? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting, like, like Frozen Pros and like Ella Dawson, and then I'm going to like mess up her. The sexual education. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> sex so education. Right. Yeah, okay, Emily DePaz, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They keep posting about, I think Ella had an article, and then, like, all these different charts, which it just blew my mind, because I feel like I'm, like, just the disclosure and, like, all the different terminology that's so similar between COVID and, like, the stigma, it just feel, it feels the same, and so... And that's another reason why I just am trying not to get it because it's it would basically be me disclosing the same way I would with herpes, but just not herpes. And so, but like saying that someone has COVID, it just seems like it's something that's just happening right now and people talk about. Whereas with herpes, it's still this like hidden thing. Um, but yeah, it's all these parallels and I'll hear, hear people talking, being like, oh, I got a test like two weeks ago, I'm negative. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Like, you don't know that. And so it just, like, reminds me so much of her beat. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I can't, like, speak out and be like, okay, well, actually, this is kind of, like, what I go through. So it's, like, this internal battle in my head. Like, I'll hear my parents talk about it. And I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm. So but you'd be speaking on behalf of so many people, too, though. Um because it is an underrepresented population. You know, Ella Dawson spoke up on behalf of the community of people with herpes. She spoke uh, with her own opinion and just the experiences that she's had. Same thing with Emily DePaz. She's speaking to the experiences and the, um, the research in regards to how we're handling herpes and STI disclosures, diagnoses, to how we're handling COVID because you look at it like masks are the equivalent of condoms social distancing and who your partners are is a direct reflection of okay well who's worth the risk i'm gonna be around people that i might get COVID from i'm gonna have sex with people i might get an sti from and now we're really having to be more mindful of those kinds of thoughts because we can you know look up and be like man fuck i knew i shouldn't have sex with her I didn't, I, she wasn't worth getting herpes from or hanging out yeah. with, you know, a social setting. And you're like, God damn it. I knew I shouldn't have went to that gas station and yeah. pump gas there, you know? So right. these are the kinds of things that are coming up. Uh, and yeah. I've had uh, clients who have been exposed to COVID somehow, some way, uh, to some extent. And the conversations of just how shameful they kind of feel, like... I did everything right. Like I wore my mask, I washed my hands, I social distanced, and I might have given this to somebody else. It's a, a lot of, around. Um, it's a lot similar to how people deal with their own diagnoses. So imagine the fatigue that comes from that alone, because now you got to look at everybody you've been in contact with over the last however many days. You got to have yeah, that conversation. conversation. 
And then you got to let them know, you know, despite me being careful or I wasn't careful, I still got it. And you got to deal with whatever emotions they're going to throw at you. And then with herpes, sometimes you have to just completely explain it to people, like from telling your story, talking about the mental piece, talking about the stigma, talking about education. And you also have to do the same thing with diabetes. So I thought that having you share your experience was a really good foundation to set for this topic that I'm going to go over for the next several weeks, just discussing disclosure fatigue, what we can do for ourselves. And what I learned from you in our conversation alone is that it's important to have a go-to resource that people can get your experiences from because here you are, you know, you have gone to therapy, you've dealt with your herpes diagnosis, you are, you have to deal with your diabetes. And uh, <laughs> yeah. also what I'm saying is helping. I do think, yeah, the parallels is so important. And I mean, I'm sure there's so many people who have herpes, but something else, and they feel like they can only talk about one thing, but hopefully just through one experience, they realize how it trickles down into other things too, and like makes a bridge, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, me on. Oh, I'm glad you did this. Thank you. Because I know you were hesitant at first to talk about it, but I, yeah. I thought you were a great guest and, you know, you spoke very well about everything and um, this feels right. And I, I asked my audience, you know, who should I interview about disclosure fatigue? And a couple of names came up uh, and then you just happened to message me when you did. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and I'll still uh I'll still interview these people too. Um okay, yeah. I feel there's so many different ways I and I was like hesitant because I was like I haven't disclosed a person to somebody. I was very close through the pandemic. Um so it was very receptive of my type one and then um something like with my sexual health uh came up, not with herpes, but he was not very receptive. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. Um yeah. So it was that build up. I was going, I really wanted to, but I'm <laughs> regretful that I did it. So that was my hesitation. But I think disclosing with type one, do you, a lot of practice there, per se. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel any like guilt for dating during the pandemic or seeking companionship at all? Well, okay. So I justify it as the two people I was with in the pandemic. I knew them prior to everything happening. So, um, and I mean, it was so tough because it's similar to like, like, are you with anyone else? Like, I don't want to get COVID. Like, are you only like, are you just sleeping with me? And so it's this weird, like, kind of, again, like we were saying, it's paralleled um, with like, are you sleeping around or like, who are you hanging out with? But yeah, I, I was with the last one for like eight months. So it was like a good chunk of the pandemic and then ended in September. Um, now I look back and I miss his like snacks, which was very great for my lows. He was a, he was a stoner, so it was a great pairing. So maybe future, but not a great guy because he didn't prioritize sexual health, which I I have realized that's pretty important now. Just like being so vocal about like testing and just like understanding like what herpes is, I I do think it opens that door, which I I didn't talk about sexual health before so another positive perhaps yep and when we get to the point of talking about sexual health conversations we realize how much it overlaps at the intersection of mental health as well because we're not just talking about 
putting penises in vaginas and we're not talking about just uh, oral sex here. We're talking about sexual health. We're talking about uh, gender. We're talking about uh, sexual orientations, identities, uh, triggers, safe words, relationship intentions, boundaries, what people need in order to feel safe. And in some cases, we're talking about, um, you know, just do's and don'ts, consent. Yeah. All of these things in the umbrella of sex education that can be normalized with discussions around sexual health. Taylor, we are closing out this podcast. How can people find you? Um, you can find me at 2TWO underscore chronic underscore 2TO underscore care. So 2Chronic to care. Had to space it out so people could read it. But yeah, give me a follow. I'm just share all my venting out my stories and trying to relate and happy to answer questions. So yeah, this has been lovely. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. I'm so thankful that you were able to get on here and share as much as you did. I didn't expect the way that you were talking. I thought I was going to have to pull a lot out of you, but once you got the <laughs> microphone on you, you just kept it rolling. So thank you. I hope I didn't say the word like too much. No. Nope. Trust biggest me. Thing. So when okay, I was cool. when I was editing the podcast, I realized how often I said it, and I would I would just cut the likes out. And then when I interviewed people who said it, I recognized just how often they said it, and I just went, nope. Yeah. I have to make these conversations very concise because that's a lot of cutting, and I don't want to lose people to discredit the discrediting that comes from saying like and um a lot. So. This concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player. If you have the means to do so and you feel compelled to, please, please, please make a donation to Something Positive for Positive People. We're paying for people to get therapy um, if they're struggling with their SCI diagnosis. Um, Big things underway going into 2021, closing out the process. Uh, we've gotten 12, 13, I believe 14 people in the uh, enrolled in therapy. I'm doing exit interviews and hearing nothing but great things. And just like Taylor here said, you know, therapy was something that helped her throughout her herpes diagnosis and getting to the place that she is now with it. So I want to be able to do that for the world when people reach out. I want to connect them to the resources that they need. Um, so if you're someone who has access to grants, any sort of STD prevention efforts or uh, people with titles who have the authority to give funding and grants or make large lump sums of donations to an organization, please consider us. Uh, we're very close to being able to really do this thing. And I had the idea of uh, partnering with local, uh, not local, but smaller mental health organizations who already provide therapy so that we can serve more people. But in a perfect world, we'd just be able to, when people reach out through the website, immediately connect them to a therapist and pay for their sessions in advance. That's the big picture goal. We're on our way there. We'll get there. And uh, in the meantime, I'll just keep pumping out these podcast episodes on a weekly basis. You can see me on Instagram at HRMyChest. I'm also back active on Twitter. So I stopped Twitter from being about something positive for positive people for a while. And that was kind of where I got my porn for the most part. And then I saw tweets and there was a there was like a need for me to jump into advocate mode. So I had to, I gave away my porn, y'all. I gave away my, my Twitter porn. You might see that I follow some pages on there that post sex videos, but it is what it is. It's normal, and I ain't, ain't got no shame about it. Till next time, 
stay sex positive.